Well, good morning. Good morning. Oh, oh, oh. People sad from the Astros game? Is that, is that why not? Good morning. That's better. That's better. Hey, we can still pray for the Astros. God's sovereign over the universe and baseball. Um, uh, if you have a Bible, jump to Acts chapter 8 with us. Acts chapter 8 is where we're going to be. And this is, if this is your first time here, let me uh, especially in, uh, welcome you. My name is Kevin Bear. I'm the lead pastor here at Bayou City Tomball. And let me just, let me just give you like a little, uh, we'll, a little note. We'll talk about this later on in the service as well. Right in front of the seat back in front of you, there's actually a connect card. And so if this is your first time here, we'd love to connect with you. Uh, grab coffee, learn more about your story, and, uh, and see how we, we might be able to help you. So right in your seat back in front of you. There's a connect card. There's also a prayer request on on the back of that. So if there's something that you would want prayer for specifically, we pray every week over those. And so feel free to fill that out and and we will uh, be happy to pray for you, whatever's going on in your life. Uh, Once again, we are in Acts chapter 8. We are doing a series in the book of Acts. Uh, We are going to take a break around the Advent season, and so that'll be um, November 28th, and we'll do a series in Advent in the Gospel of Luke. But for now, we are going to continue our journey through the book of Acts, looking at the radical spread of the church. So I'm going to read a little bit for us from Acts chapter 8, pray for us, and then we will jump in. Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 1, it says this. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him. And they saw the signs that he did for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many were paralyzed or lame were being healed. So there was much joy in that city. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And Lord, thank you for your amazing work in the early church. Work that you started by the power of your spirit and work that you are continuing to do through the power of your spirit. So Lord, I pray that as we open up your word, you would open up our hearts that we might be your people that take seriously the gospel. And I know, Lord, there's a us in a variety of spaces this morning. There's some of us that know you, Jesus, and there's some of us that do not know you, Jesus. So Lord, I pray that um, wherever we are on the spectrum, that you would open our hearts, that we would take a next step with you, and we would give more of our lives to you. And Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom and insight and passion to do that by the power of your spirit. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, in life, in all of life, uh, there's tensions that bring transition. There's tensions in life, and those tensions that we experience in life, those bring transition. And it's oftentimes that God uses tensions in your life to send you on a new transition. For some of you, that's what brought you here to Houston. It was a tension in a previous job 
that brought you to a new place, searching for a new job to come to the Houston area. Or maybe for some of you, the reason you came out to Tomball is because it was the tension of city life that made you go, you know what? I don't want to sit in that traffic. I'm going to go out and live in Tomball. So it was the tensions that led to transition. And you've all experienced this in raising kids. I mean, for some of you, when you got your little kids uh, young, you're just like, oh, I'm so glad I had this little baby. They're absolutely amazing. What a gift from God. And they don't sleep and they start talking and you're like, man, maybe not, maybe not so much. And, and, and you got you to raise that kid. And there comes to a point when they, they maybe are going off to school and you're like, praise God, um, you need activities and relationships that I cannot provide for you. And so you sign them up for activities or you get them into school and so you're like, okay, you got that tension. And, and what always happens with students, uh, I was a youth pastor for a number of years and as they are aging in high school there's another tension that's created that conflict between you as a parent and that child and there's that tension they are disrespectful they want to do their own thing they want to live their own life and you're like at one level you're just like child I reared you I wiped your tushy you know like I did all of this for you why are you being so disrespectful but there's a tension there that's going to lead to transition and that transition is you need to move out you need, to, you need to experience other life. You need to pay your own bills so you experience that. And then you appreciate me. And like that tension leads to that transition. And it's oftentimes in life that tensions, conflicts within relationships help to move us in a new direction. And God does it all the time. We've experienced it all throughout our lives. And that's what we have in this moment in the movement of the early church. There's a tension, there's conflict, there's crisis. And in that crisis, God is going to spread the church to new territories. In that tension, God's going to use the tension to move the church further on its mission. And here's, here's the truth. Here's the truth for every one of our lives. God brings tension in your life to bring you in a new transition so that you can represent him in a new place. That's what it means to be a Christian. The tensions in your life aren't meant for you to to stop being a Christian or stop making an impact for him. The tensions are there potentially to move you to a new place to represent him in a new way in that place. In my own life, I I had my own tension in life. Um, that's really what brought us here to Bayou City Tomball. I, I was doing an amazing work with amazing ministry with an amazing church that I deeply love in College Station. And, and over time, there was, there was this kind of tension within me saying, God just kind of pushing me saying, hey, th- there may be another place for you to serve. There may be another place for you to go. And so immediately I went uh, to, to my senior pastor, the one who was over me. And I said, I-, I feel like God's stirring this within me. And over the next year and a half, I walked with him and see- sought guidance with him as-, as God was directing my life and my heart and brought us to this new place. So it doesn't have to be a negative thing. It could just be a thing of like, there's tension, there's unrest, and, and maybe God is leading you to a new place. And, and the, the real question is this, as God is leading you to a new place, are you going to represent him well in that new place that he put you? Are you going to live the life that he's called you to live in that new place? And, and every now and then, God does it overtly or subtly. He starts putting people in your life to say, you know what? I want you to share the gospel with them. And sometimes it's in moments that are inconvenient. Sometimes it's purposeful. Sometimes it's in moments that are inconvenient. Uh, For me, it's more often in times that are inconvenient. See, this moment's easy for me. 
Like I love preaching, I love teaching the word of God, I love the structured moments when that can happen. But when I'm at home, sometimes I just wanna be at home. And so on Thursday, this past week, so just confession time, Thursday this past week, I'd gone for a little run in my neighborhood, I came back, I'm stretching in my garage, I'm sitting there, and, uh, and a person comes by um, selling things in my neighborhood. Have you been there? And, and in this moment, I'm like, you know what? I'm kind of, I'm just relaxing. I'm kind of chilled out. I'm kind of doing my own thing. And he walks up and he goes, sir, can I ask you a question? I'm like, absolutely. What's the question? And then he starts going into his spiel where he wants to sell something to me. And in the process of him giving the spiel of selling these different things to me, he says, he says can I ask you your job? And I'm like, here we go. <laughs> and I said, um, I said, I'm, I'm a pastor. And he goes, oh, that's wonderful. And then he asked me, why, do you, why are you a pastor? And I'm like, oh, there's another good question. <laughs> and it's not like answering I'm an engineer, right? I mean, like, why are you an engineer? I love math. You know, and like those are easy answers. The question to why are you a pastor? Well, that, that opens up a lot of things. And you know, it's just not a short conversation. And so I said, well, I believe that Jesus died in my place for my sins. I believe that Jesus is the answer that the world needs. And, and that's what brought me into ministry. And I think Jesus is, is the solution that, that you need as well to every issue that you have in your life. <sighs> okay. And he goes on with his spiel. Would you like to buy this thing? And I was like, I'm sorry, I'm not in a place. I don't really need your thing. And I don't want to buy that thing. And, and he says, okay. And he starts walking away. And he turns around and looks at me and he goes, would you pray for me? Now, this is a conversation I didn't want to have that was an inconvenience to me. But I got to pray for a, a person that had I been living in College Station, I would never would have met. Had I been kind of living my own thing, doing my own thing, I never would have had an opportunity to pray for this man. And now, Do I know what God's going to do in his life? No, I don't know. But God gave me the privilege in that moment to just be faithful with where he put me and to represent him in that place. That's what we're going to see in this section of scripture. We're going to see a man named Philip be faithful to the God who moved him into this place. To share his faith in moments that were contentious or moments that people were very receptive, he's gonna move him into this place to represent him. And the same is true in your life and my life if we're willing to simply be used. And so for an outline for today, I always give an outline at the beginning of the sermon, it's this. We're gonna see the spread of faith. We're gonna see false faith. We're gonna see true faith and what it looks like, fourthly, to be a faithful messenger. So the first part we see is this, the spread of faith. The spread of faith is really interesting. At the very beginning in chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, we see that there arose a great persecution. Last week we looked at the, um, uh, the, the, the persecution that was levied on Stephen and literally his death, his martyrdom. And so we looked at the death of Stephen. In that moment, that, that death of Stephen started a spread of persecution against the early church. In that moment in the early church, we see that Saul, this individual, rises up and he begins ravaging the church. That's the word that's used in verse three. He begins ravaging the church. That word ravaging is used to describe in, in other texts, um, boars destroying a vineyard. 
Now, if you have land or you love land, you know the, the wreckage that, a, that hogs or boars can do on land and tearing things up. And so he's describing Paul as someone moving in and causing wreckage to the community. And as Paul is causing wreckage, something happens. People start spreading out. It says that everyone starts spreading out, except the apostles. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem. They became that center point in Jerusalem. But all the believers began scattering to the winds. And what's fascinating, at one level, you can look at that and be like, well, that's a problem. Like this persecution is the problem. But actually, it's the persecution that God is using to move the people to a new place. It's that tension that God is using to spread his gospel. Charles Swindoll, in his um, book on the book of Acts, says this. Stage one of God's plan saw the arrival of the Holy Spirit to evangelize Jerusalem. And the believers had become his witnesses. The persecution is a catalyst in stage two to move the ministry to Jerusalem and Samaria, or Judea and Samaria. So we see this movement in Acts chapter one, verse eight. It gives the outline of the book of Acts. We see that the church started in Jerusalem and then it's gonna move to Judea and Samaria and eventually to the ends of the earth. And that really is the outline of your book of Acts. And we're gonna watch the gospel begin to spread. And it's interesting, God uses tension. He uses pressure to spread the gospel forward. And God often does that. He uses tension in your life to move the gospel forward. It's scattered people that spread the message. It's not the professionals. It's not the apostles. He uses normal everyday people like you and like me that are normal people that come to faith to go spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's the call of God. It's not about a few pros out there preaching. It's about everyday normal people taking this mission forward. And, and, and God uses tensions in life to cause the spread. And so I'm gonna give you three principles from this point that kind of ground this idea. And the first is this, that no situation in your life is outside of God's control. No situation in your life is outside of God's control. See, God purposely causes tensions in your life so that he can spread his message. No situation is stopping God's greater work. Secondly, that your current struggle may be used to break barriers. We're going to see several barriers being broken right here. First of all, we're going to see some racial barriers being broken. They're going to go to Samaria, and, they're going to get, and we're going to see a Samaritan. So the Samaritans come to faith, and we're going to see an Ethiopian come to faith. We're going to see an, an African come to faith in our first part. So, so the gospel is so big, it breaks through any barriers that are there. It breaks through cultural and racial barriers. And number, th- number three, God uses your individual struggles to redirect your life. That's why you transition to a new job, to a new place, to a new school. It's, it's moving to a new place. But God uses those struggles to redirect you for his greater purposes. And so that's true. That's why God brings tension and pain and trial to your life. To redirect you, to move you to a new place so that you can be effective for him in that new place. That's what he's doing in this section. But here's what we're going to see next. There's three major responses that we see. And you're going to be a part of one of these three characters. There's three characters that, that really, that, that the, God, the author Luke and what we see in the person of Philip interact with. We're going to see someone that comes in false faith. 
it's possible to have a false profession of faith in Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at what that is like. Secondly, we're going to see true faith. What is true repentance? What does true faith look like? And number three, we're going to look at Philip. We're going to look at what it looks like to be a faithful witness wherever you are. So the first part we're going to look at is this. What is false faith look like. Read with me, starting in verse 9 of chapter 8. It says this, but there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. And they all paid attention to him, from the least of them to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing signs and great miracles being performed, he was amazed. And when the apostles of Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them to Peter and sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For they had, the Spirit had not yet fallen on them. Verse 17. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw the Spirit was given through the laying on the hands of the apostles, he offered them money, saying, give me this power also so that that anyone on whom I lay my hands on will receive the Spirit. But Peter turned to him, told him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part in nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. We see Philip go to Samaria and begins preaching the gospel, and many people are coming to faith. And, and one of the individuals that, that has this experience is the man Simon, the magician. And what we see in this section are four signs of false faith. Four signs that you are actually not, do not have faith in Jesus Christ. And the first one is this, that you're using God to give you what you really want. Look at what Simon's pursuit is in life. It says in verse 9 that there was a man named Simon and, and, and everyone was saying, you're amazing, you're great, and using that word to describe him, you are great. And they paid attention to him and they were amazed by his magic. They're like, you have this quality, you have this success, you're powerful in this way. And so all, everyone around them is amazed at the work of Simon. But then new people come to town. Philip comes to town. And he begins preaching the gospel and healing people's diseases. People are, are dramatically being changed by the power of the work of God. And then Simon leans in and he's like, oh my gosh, I want some of that power for me. What I really want is God to just bless what I'm doing. I want a little bit of God to just bless my pursuits in life. I I want to put a Christian label on a personal agenda. And that's what you see with Simon. He comes to a false faith. What he really wants is, is the power of God. He doesn't want the person of God. He wants God to bless what he's doing. He doesn't really want God. And I hear this type of language all the time in Christian culture. I'm believing God for X. I'm believing that God will bless this in my life. 
And, and, and what we're doing with that is we're saying, if I pray the right prayers, if I do the right thing, I will, I will get the blessing of God. Because what I don't really want is God. I just want what God gives. I don't really want a relationship with God. I just want to be blessed by God. And that's the second problem of false faith. The second problem is this, is he's focusing on the shine. He's enamored by the miracles, not the God of the miracles. He's wanting the power He's focused on what he's seeing, but he doesn't really want the God behind the miracles. Verse 12, it says, when he believed, when they believed Philip, when he preached the good news about the kingdom, they were baptized, both men and women. And even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing the signs and miracles that were being performed, he was amazed. And so, and so Simon, in this moment, is going like, man, People are being saved. They're being baptized. I'm going to go be baptized. I'll pray that prayer. Do I need to walk forward? I'm going to do that too. And, and so he's doing the things so that he can get the shine. He's enamored by the power. He's enamored by the miracles. And listen, so many Christians, we can be guilty of this. What we want is the show. What we want is the shine. What we want is some significant experience. And, and, and what we're doing is we're just going from experience to experience to give us that thing that we need, that missing hole. And what we're doing is we're chasing the experience. We're not chasing the God of the experience. We're wanting the experience to meet our needs. We actually are not going to God. And so he's saying, I'll get baptized. I'll do that. I'll do the things. And, and baptism doesn't save you. Doing the Christian activities don't save you. Going through the motions doesn't save you. And Simon's excited. He's passionate. He's like, I'm going to go do that. I'm going to go do that thing. But none of that is, is an intimate relationship with God. And then the apostles come down. Peter and John. And what they're amazed at is that, is that the faith is moving into Samaria. Samaritans were, were viewed at, with suspicion by the Jewish people. They were seen as, as half-breeds. They were seen as others. They were not, not truly faith-filled people. And so Peter and John are, are going down to verify, did, is, is God really moving in these people's lives? And they come down and they begin praying for people. And, 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 and Charles Swindoll has a great insight on this. He's saying what God did is because he knew that they would be so surprised about the salvation of the Samaritans that he, he withheld the work of the Holy Spirit until the apostles came there so they could see that, no, I'm moving out beyond Jews into this other group of people. And so they go in there, they start praying for people, they're receiving the Holy Spirit, and then we see the third description of false faith. They pray over these people, and now in verse 18, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on the hands of the apostles, he offered them money, saying, give me this power also so that anyone on whom I lay on my hands may receive the Spirit. The third demonstration of false faith, believing that God can be bought. Believing that I can somehow purchase for myself the benefits and the blessings of God. And we do this in really subtle ways. And I'll tell you where we do this in Christian culture. We believe that we can pay God off through our faith or through our prayers. We believe that our relationship with God, for some of us, becomes transactional. Like, I will pay you with religious goods and services, my obedience, my prayers, and my faith. And we want you to pay back. And so if I pray hard enough, 
or if I have enough faith, these are the commodities that transition God's blessing to me. And we see it, we treat it like, like God is one who's just waiting for you so he can pay for you. And so we're using our faith to twist God's arm into action. And that's not a relationship. Can you imagine this relationship with your kids? Saying, okay, you, you are child of mine, you're 14 years old, you are going to have a volleyball tournament. I will come and give you love and appreciation and cheering, but it's gonna cost you 50 bucks. Like, you give me 50 bucks, I will go to your volleyball game and I will cheer you on and pretend to love you. Like, I will do that. Can you imagine that relationship with your spouse? You would like to go out on a date? I'd be willing to take you on a date. That will be $100, and I will pretend to like you. I will pretend to be interested in you. And then uh, and at the end of the night, I will give you a kiss and a good hug on the side, and we'll move on. Like, can you imagine a transactional relationship with someone that you love? Like, that's just weird. And we do the same thing with God. See, religion, religion says, I will do the things to pay for a relationship. Relationship with God is nothing like that. It is not transactional. It's a loving relationship with your heavenly father. He says, I love you and it can't be bought. It can't be bought. Which leads to the fourth sign of false faith. Fearing the consequences of your actions, not showing genuine repentance. Peter confronts him in this moment. He says, look, You are are unrepentant. You are not responding to God. Verse 22, repent therefore of this wickedness of yours and pray that the Lord, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven for I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. He says, I see you're in bondage. I see that you've never come to genuine faith. And then his response to this is, verse 24, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you said will come upon me. He says this, this is the fourth sign of false faith, that I'm fearing the consequences of my actions. I'm not showing genuine repentance. There's a difference between fearing consequences and genuine repentance. Fearing consequences is I don't want this to happen to me. A genuine relationship says this, I've hurt a person. And when I've hurt a person, my response is different. We do this with my kids all the time. We say this, if you continue to hit your sister, we're going to destroy you as a human, right? Like there will be consequences to your actions. You'll be grounded, I'm gonna take that away, it's gonna be rough for you, right? And we say, we need you to apologize to your brother or your sister. And this heartfelt apology comes out, sorry. And, and they move on. And I'm like, do you realize you hurt a person? And that person of your sibling needs a real forgiveness from you, a real repentance from what you just did. And they're just like, I said I was sorry. I did it. I did it. And you're like, if you don't do a real apology, like, you're not going to have anything for the rest of your life. Like, nothing. (laughs) All will be taken from you. And then then they, like, put on the show. I'm really sorry that I hit you, but you deserved it because you were being mean. I'm really sorry. (laughs) That is fake. (laughs) Can't draw it any more clearly. See, these are the signs of fake faith. It's not about relationship. It's about making sure that God is satisfied with me. Like, I just don't want to deal with him anymore, so like, I'll be nice 
and we fear consequences. We don't actually have relationship. We're trying to milk God for things. We don't actually love God for who he is. See, those are all the symbols of false faith. And we can try to use our prayers and use our faith to manipulate God into action. But let me just say, that's all fake. That's all false. That is not genuine love for God. But we see a very dramatic difference in the next section. See, that was the interaction with Simon, but we see a a completely different action with an Ethiopian eunuch. We see completely different action at the tail end of this section of what it looks like to have genuine faith. What does true faith look like? Verse 26 says, Now an angel of the Lord has said to Philip, Rise, go south to the end of the road that goes down to Gaza, to this desert place. And he arose and he went down, and there was an Ethiopian of the court um, of the official Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasury. He came, um, he had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning, seated in his chariot, and was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Here's what's so interesting about this person. This person is completely different than Simon. Simon was the one who was seeking renown, seeking to be great, seeking influence. We see in this section a person who had renown, who had position, who had influence. He was um, in charge of the queen of Ethiopian's treasury. That was a high position of authority. He was a eunuch. What's interesting about that thing, about uh, that, that is a decision that some people could make in that culture in order to be in, this, in the uh, court of, of powerful people. So he made this dramatic decision to become a eunuch, likely so that he could be working for the queen. So he had given up the potential of progeny, of potential of having kids, so that he could have this position of power. So he was a position of power. He had a position of influence. But what's so interesting in this is that he realized that that wasn't enough, but he's seeking something else. And it says that he, was, he had traveled to Jerusalem. First of all, he was seeking God. That's what we see. He was seeking God. He was going where God is. And what's interesting in the Jewish faith, you couldn't go into the temple if you were a eunuch. You had to wait on the outer court. So he had traveled all of this distance to go to Jerusalem to try to get close to God. And when he got there, likely they said, you can't even come all the way in. You're gonna have to stay back in those other courts of the temple. And so he comes all this way. He's reading the scripture. It's fascinating. First of all, we see this genuine faith. True faith means that you are seeking God where God is. Is that true for you? Are you seeking God for who God is, for where he is? God was in the temple of Jerusalem. That was the representation of God's presence in the world. What about you? Do you go to church? Do you go to God's people? Are you seeking God where he is? The second thing that we see is this, is that he's searching the scripture. He's saying, if God wrote a book, I'm gonna read the book. If God can be known through his word, I'm gonna read the word. And it says that he's reading in the book of Isaiah. He's reading in the book of Isaiah. And what's interesting, he read this particular passage and what's likely happening is that, is that the, the chariot is driving along and as, he, as he's driving along, he's reading the scripture aloud because Philip is sent to him and he's kind of running belo- alongside of him, which is so funny. He's kind of running alongside this chariot and he, pro- he hears this Ethiopian reading this text. And so Philip ran, um, verse 30, ran beside him and he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. 
And he asked, do you know what this means? And the passage in the scripture, verse 32, was, um, said this, like a sheep that was led to a slaughter, like a lamb before a shearers is silent, so he who opens not his mouth, in his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, arise, go towards this man who's over here. He says, he says this second little piece, he sees this man reading the word of God. He has no idea what it means. But he's soaking in the words of God because if God wrote a book, I want to understand the God of the book. If this is who he is, I want to understand who he is. Do you do that? Do you seek out God by personal time reading scripture? And you may not understand a word of it, but you're going to it to hope to meet God. This was me in college. I started reading the book of Romans as a freshman in college, not a believer, but I was like, I think I need to know God. And so I started soaking in the word on my own and I didn't understand a word of it, but God over time brought people into my life to speak into my life. And that's the third piece that you see. The Ethiopian was open to learning. Philip runs beside him and says, hey, do you know what you're reading? He says, how am I to know unless someone explains it to me? You see an openness. He's not resilient or resistant to, to someone speaking into his life. He's saying, no, I've got, he's not saying I got it, I can do this. Like, hey, I'm kind of a big deal. Like I'm second to the queen, I'm over all of her money. He doesn't say any of that. He says, I'm open to learn from you. And Philip begins teaching him what this means, what this passage means about the coming of Jesus. This passage about the lamb that is silent before shears, that's a, that's a pointing in your Old Testament to the death of Jesus Christ. He's saying that passage that you just happen to be reading is pointing to Jesus Christ. That's what this is about. And the fourth thing that you see about genuine faith is an eagerness to obey. And as they were going down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariots stop and both of them went down into the water and Philip and the eunuch and he baptized him. And he came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away to a new place. The fourth thing that we see is an eagerness to obey. Jesus told his disciples, go into all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And, and, and Philip is having this conversation. He's telling him about Jesus. He responds in faith and he says, okay, baptism is part of this. Baptism is that public display of an inward reality, saying, I believe that Jesus died in my place for my sins and, and there's water. Let's go get dunked right now. And Philip's like, let's go do it right now. What about you? When God says something to you from his word, are you eager to obey? Are you open to learning from God? And then are you obeying when God speaks? See, that's what genuine faith looks like. It's people that are seeking God, that are seeking God in his word, that are, that are open to learning and that are eager to obey. See, that's what it looks like to be someone to have the responding in genuine faith. What's fascinating for me personally, and I've shared this story before, is that I literally walked through this entire, this almost exact moment in my own life, and I failed the test miserably. I was not Philip, I was dumb Kevin. That was my experience. So I was in, I was in college, 
And there was a guy in my class, I've shared this before, so sorry if you've heard it before, but there's a guy in my class, and he was studying for um, these tests in this government class. And he was the guy that didn't take good notes, didn't go to class, and wanted to mooch off of all of our notes and our time in class. And I remember, I remember each time we'd be studying for these tests, and we rolled around to the time of the final. And we're all sitting there, and we're studying together. And he's like, hey, did you take notes on there? I haven't went there in that class. And we're like giving him all of our stuff. And I'm just getting frustrated. But at a point, uh, while we were studying, a conversation turned. And he, he said, hey, um, I'm Jewish. Uh, are you Christian? And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm Christian. And, and he, he said, okay, um, I have all of these questions about Jesus. And he starts asking me these questions about Jesus. And I have this great conversation. But I, I'm like, I got to cut this off because I got to go home and sleep. We got a final tomorrow. And uh, he goes, okay, here's my number. Call me. I'd love to talk more about this. And I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I never call him back. A year later, I'm walking down the road. Um, I went to the University of Texas, so I'm walking down one side of the street. Um, and I see him across 26th Street. He's over on the other side of the street. And it's, it's night, it's late. He's walking with another buddy. He sees me across the street. He goes, hey, Kevin, runs across four lanes of traffic over to me. And he says, Kevin, um, hey, this is my buddy. We're now in law school here at UT. And, and he's Jewish, I'm Jewish. And, and we're studying the book of Isaiah and we came to the part where it talks about the suffering servant. And I said, I know this Christian guy. And here you are. Will you help us understand this? In my best little way, I'm like, yeah, that, that suffering servant that it's talking about in Isaiah is pointing to the person of Jesus Christ. That's what's about. He goes, man, this is so good. Hey, we got to run. But here's my phone number. Will, you, will we get together and will you tell me more about this? I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. Never call him. Two years later. I'm in a ministry setting where people are doing outreach ministry to different parts of UT campus. And I walk into this meeting, everyone there is kind of doing outreach ministry to different parts of the campus. I'm walking into this meeting and Jewish guy's in the room and starts walking toward me. He walks up to me and he goes, I'm like, hey, Christians, you, what are you doing here? He goes, I came to Christ six months ago, you blew it. And I, I said, uh, come again? He's like, yeah, man, I had all these questions about Jesus, but you wouldn't answer them. And so finally, God brought someone else in my life, shared the gospel with me, and now I have a heart to reach Jewish law students. What? See, God all the time is bringing people into your life to share your faith with. And it may be while you're sitting on your front porch and maybe when you're in a class, it may be at your work, it may be in any number of environments, but here's the deal. Here's the question. Here's the crux of it. Are you ready when those opportunities come? Are you sensitive in listening to God or are we hard-hearted toward those people that might need the gospel? And I've been on both sides of this of where, hey, it was great that I was able to share my faith with this person. And on the other side of it, no, I completely missed it. So what does it look like, lastly, to be a faithful messenger? What does it look like to be people that are ready to respond when God brings those people in our life? I'm gonna give you four pieces for this that we see in the life of Philip. Number one, be available. Be available. Philip is listening to the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. Are you? 
He's listening to God. He's, he's attuned to the work of the Holy Spirit in his own life and heart. And he's ready. When God says go, he goes. When God says go talk to this person, he goes and talks to this person. He is, he is ready and available when God says go. Henry Blackaby says this, if you know that God loves you, you should never question a directive from him. It will always be right and best. When he gives you a directive, you are not just to observe it, discuss it, debate it, you are to obey it. Are you available? When God says go, you're ready to go. Number two, to be purposeful. See, Philip had arranged his life to have freedom for those conversations. He had arranged his life so that he was ready. When the opportunity come, he is ready to move in. Do you have enough margin in your life for people to interrupt your life? Do you have enough margin to be available for those conversations? Or have you so structured your time, there's no way that someone could come and interrupt you? Secondly, he's purposeful with his time. Thirdly, he's persistent. God told him to go run up beside this chariot. And, And what's so funny, I mean, the chariot's going... Philip's just walking, and then God's like, go, run after that chariot. He's like, I, that, that, yeah, just go run up. And he runs up beside it while God's talking. And so this is the third piece. Be persistent. Not everyone is ready to have a conversation with you. Not everyone's going to walk up to you. Sometimes it means I'm going to be persistent in this relationship. I'm going to be persistent in reaching out to this person. I'm going to be per- persistent in prayer over this person's life. Are you persistent in the relationships that God has put around you to say, I'm going to move when he says move. And if God's put that person on your heart, that means in your mind, that means you need to move and pray and be persistent in that person's life. Be available, be purposeful, be persistent. Number four, be tactful. Philip runs in and he asks him a question. He doesn't run in and say, I got the answers, sit down. He says, hey, do do you know what you're reading? Hey, can I be helpful to you in this situation? He's tactful in the way that he interacts with this person. Are you tactful? Not that you run in, hey, I got the answers that you need, but he, run, he moves in tactfully. Hey, hey, can I help you understand what you're reading? And number four, be pointing people to Jesus. In his conversation with this man, he's saying, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. And let me tell you about Jesus Christ. Jesus lived the perfect life we could not. He died in our place for our sins. He is the solution to every human problem. If you needed something else from God, he would have given it to you. And he is the way to relationship with your heavenly father. Do you want to know God today? You come through the person of Jesus Christ. And there are so many debates in culture that pull us so far off. He didn't talk to the Samaritans about all the history of their past and everything that went wrong there. Although those things were true. He moves in with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for us as Christians, if we're going to make a great impact in the city of Tomball, it means that we have to be willing to be used wherever God leads. Daryl Bach in his commentary on the gospel, he says, this description of of Philip is a great example of how Christians move evangelistically into their culture. And he says this, 
these good elements of evangelism. They say it reveals, it reflects faithful obedience. It's ready to cross cultural lines. It's sensitive to hearts prepared by God. It often starts with the other person's questions and is rooted in scriptural teaching and has Jesus as its theme. That's what it looks like to move into this culture. And in our culture that is increasingly hostile to Christianity, it's no different than it was then. So what's needed? These types of people that move in with the love of Jesus Christ and see lives changed for his purpose and his good. So let me ask you, which person are you? Are you hard-hearted? Are you trying to use God to get what you want? Are you open-hearted? You're seeking God. Or third, has God put you in a place but you have not been faithful to share your faith with others? Would you take a moment, bow your head, and ask yourself the question to the Lord, which, which person do I lean toward? Lord, thank you that your gospel breaks all barriers. Thank you that you are always looking to save people that are far from you. So Lord, I pray that we'd be soft-hearted people, that we would respond to the gospel. God, we'd not be trying to use you to get what we really want, but we'd actually just be coming to you. Lord, I pray that if there's folks here this morning that have never actually put their faith alone in Christ alone for the forgiveness of their sins, they would do that this morning. And Lord, there's others of us in the room that um, we've known the gospel, but we've just never made ourselves available to share the gospel. I pray, Lord, that you would show us how to be available, to be purposeful, to be persistent and to be open to the work you're calling us to do. Amen. To close our service, we're going to close like we do every time. It's just in prayer. For some of you, uh, you've never put your faith alone in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins and our prayer team is here. They're coming forward right now and we would love to pray for you that you can know you have a relationship with your heavenly father through the person of Jesus Christ. And for some of you, you're gonna come forward to receive salvation today. For others of you, there's, there's healing that you need. Maybe it's emotional or physical or, or spiritual healing. There's something in you that, that's just not right and, and you would love prayer alongside you. So we want to pray for you. We believe that God heals in the same way that he healed long ago in the, Old, in the Old Testament, the New Testament. We believe that God still heals today. Thirdly, there's some of you that um, for whatever reason, God's calling you to be his messenger. He's calling you maybe even into ministry, but you've actually just been resistant for whatever reason. And I don't know that you need to go into full-time ministry tomorrow. 
But maybe that's you. You've been resistant to the call of God on your life. And if that's you, we want to pray for you. That God would give you the courage to step out in faith. That God would supply the needs that you have so you can be a faithful minister of his gospel. So the Lord just impressed upon my heart. If that's you, we want to pray for you. So come forward. Let's pray. Let me pray for us as we transition to worship. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you save us from ourselves and you save us to be part of your greater mission. Thank you for the challenges and tensions you bring into our lives. Thank you for redirecting our lives. God, make us faithful. Make us obedient. Bring us into relationship with you so that we can bring others into relationship with you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.